Hello everybody, how are you today? This beautiful day that the Lord has made. I'm Karen Jane Casey on the podcast, Turn to God with Karen. And today we have a special, a special episode about domestic violence. And I have with me a special guest, William Lightfoot, and he's a consultant who can talk to us about domestic violence. So he's with Lightfoot Consulting Associates, mm -hmm. and he consults specifically about elder abuse and domestic violence and domestic violence in the workplace. And we're going to talk about that later on. So I have a lot of questions for you, okay. but before we get started, I think um, we're going to have to find out what the definition of domestic violence is. Domestic violence is a pattern of abusive uh, behavior with the specific intent of maintaining power and control over a victim. Uh, that, that type of behavior could include uh, assault, it could include uh, threatening, coercion, intimidation, anything that will cause a victim to be controlled. Wow. Okay, um, so you, is domestic violence, the main thing is power and control, right? Yeah. Could you um, explain that a little bit? Power and control um, is, is is a method of uh, controlling a person's actions, their thoughts, or their willingness to, to 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 accept the abuser without question, mm. or to to accept their actions without question. Well, how? What are it, some of the types of doing this? It it it, it includes uh, humiliation. It includes emotional abuse. Uh, physical assault, sexual assault, financial exploitation. And, and you know, you hear that a lot in elder abuse, but uh, a domestic violence victim is also subjected to financial abuse. There are a lot of victims who aren't even allowed to go and get a job because that means they will have money. Mm. Or if they are allowed to get a job and have money, most of that money is turned over to the abuser. So they are being financially exploited, um, social isolation. I'm not going to let you talk to anyone. I'm not going to let you visit anyone, including your parents, um, because you may say something that will indicate that you're being abused. Right, so they're isolated. Yeah. So they're isolated. Um, also, that keeps them from getting information on how to get out. It does. I have victims who were so controlled that the abuser would not let them read a magazine because it means that they that to the abuser, that's a connection with what's going on. They couldn't read a magazine, they couldn't read a newspaper. Yeah, it might have the abuse hotline number on it or something. It, it could, you know, it, it, 
it is the power and control dynamic. It, I am going to control your every action. And what I've found is that when that is put into jeopardy, that's when the victim is, is really um, they're in danger a lot more when when that control and then when the abuser thinks they've lost control, that's when she's that's when she's really in danger. Right, because they've got to they've got to pull back in, right. no matter what. So, um, so when you said um, domestic violence in the workplace, I wasn't sure what you meant at first. So maybe people in the audience aren't sure what you're talking about there either. When when a person is abused and they are and they do have a job, that that violence follows them from home to work. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't stop because they they walk out the door and go into their place of employment. Uh, victims are harassed. The abuser shows up at their workplace, uh, and it can escalate to the point where they are being assaulted at the workplace. So it, it doesn't stop at home. It, it will follow a victim to work, which can create several things. Number one, they are still in danger, even though they're working. Mm -hmm. Other employees are in danger because if it escalates to the point of physical violence, then then the employers or employees surrounding that victim are also in danger. So then the boss is likely to fire them just to be free of all that aggravation. Is there any hope that? There will cannot, be not there. I've actually had a victim who was fired because you're, you're, you're blaming the victim for the actions of the abuser. Mm -hmm. And this employer did fire the victim and the recourse was that we went to EEOC. So that's a good thing for people to know. There is recourse. Yes. EEOC and OSHA. All both right. have specific documents or, or uh, specific rules and they have put out uh, information guidelines to employers that that's unacceptable. You cannot fire the victim because of the actions. The employer really has a responsibility to for the victim's safety mm -hmm. and well-being and to do whatever is necessary to keep the victim safe while they're at work. Um, and every employer should have a written policy and usually it comes through their, their HR departments. Human mm -hmm. uh, HR departments need to be fully understanding of what they can do 
to assist domestic violence victims. Mm -hmm. And one of the things businesses should do is to build partnerships with uh, domestic violence programs mm -hmm. uh, where they can refer this victim to to uh, to get help. But all of that needs to be in a written policy and both employers, uh, the employees and the management should understand that that policy exists in the company. Okay, so similar to sexual harassment, they make a point of having little workshops and explain it to the employees. They need to have something in place to explain their rules and, and mm -hmm. about domestic violence they in should. the workplace too. They should. And it should be well understood that not only is the policy, it's not just there for decoration, we're actually going to do this. And uh, if, if, they, if the abuser comes onto this property with the intent of causing harm to either the victim or anyone else, that they will be prosecuted for their actions. That would be a great deterrent. <laughs> so um, a lot of people ask, uh, why, does, why did she stay? I mean, when a woman is, or usually a woman, is in a domestic violence situation, people on the outside look and say, why did she stay? And I know there's a lot of reasons. Could you go over some of them? You know, I, I have heard that question I, <laughs> hundreds of times. And it usually comes as, as well, why didn't she just leave? Yeah, that's what I've heard. And to, to a lot of people, that makes sense. Why don't she just pack up her stuff and leave? It takes a victim on an average of seven to ten times to actually run. To successfully to, get to, away. To get, not, not just that, but to make up their mind that I have had enough and I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. But they have been abused. That's not something that the abuse happens today and they pack up tomorrow. It can go on for years. I've had victims who were domestic violence victims for 40 years. Mm -hmm. They've been a victim their entire life. Uh, but why didn't she just leave? Because number one, she's in more danger. Because that power and control dynamic that we talked about mm. is not there anymore. So they're so going to make every effort to get that back. She is in real danger. Uh, the fear. And nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. A lot of victims have no family, no friends. So where's she going to run to? Yeah. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to run with the kids. Suppose she has three kids. She can't just pick up and leave. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually had a victim that actually left and left the children in the house. But when she ran, <laughs> she ran straight to the police station. Oh, that's good. And, <laughs> and you know, there are shelters available, but women don't know that or the victim doesn't know that unless they do research right. and they call the domestic right. violence hotline number and then they find out what shelters are in their vicinity. 
And it can kind of take some a little bit of planning. It does. It takes a lot of planning. And, you know, she she may not have transportation. If she doesn't have a car, he doesn't allow her to drive. How is she going to run? There's no way for her to run. She doesn't have any friends because he hasn't allowed any friends. Mm -hmm. So she has no transportation. Um, no support mechanism. If she runs, where's she going to run to? Mm -hmm. And can is there anyone that can support her actions? And many, many domestic violence victims have no support mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, the mistaken belief, and you know, I, I've heard, I've had victims tell me, well, you know, it happened once, but it, it'll get better. Yeah, he'll change. <laughs> yeah, he'll change. Or it will stop. It's that mistaken belief that the abuse will just end, which is far from being true. The abuse doesn't just stop, it gets worse and it, it, it escalates over time. Uh, loss of the kids. If, if I run, I've had victims ask me, if I run, am I gonna lose my children? So they stay because they, they have this fear that their children are gonna be taken away from them. That has been implanted by him. Mm -hmm. right. If you leave, you're gonna leave and you're never going to see your kids again. That's a great motivator to stay. Mm -hmm. um, and believe it or not, and one of the great motivators to stay is love. They love yeah. their abuser, yeah. and they will not leave. Yeah, I know. I was in domestic violence a long time ago, and it was life-threatening, but I had hope. Clear up until the end, I still had hope, and I think so many um, victims hold on to that hope mm -hmm. that something will happen, that it will not, there won't be abuse anymore, that the person will change, and you know, ideally, they're going to get in contact with a shelter before they have to take off and get an escape plan, and. And, you know, but they have to know the shelter's there. Right, they have to be aware yeah. of it. They have to know that it exists. I was a police officer for 36 years. Mm -hmm. And my last assignment was in a domestic violence unit. Uh, and I can't tell you how many victims we talked to in that unit um, that, that say, I just can't leave him because I love him. It's a great motivator to stay and take the abuse. Or I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere for my kids to go. Where are we going to live? That self-preservation kicks in. And they, they really don't understand that there are some options out there. So that love is probably an emotional attachment that came on over time because they're so dependent on this abusive person. That's true, but you know, it, it is also that hope, like you just mm. said, yeah. that this is gonna stop, this is gonna end. 
It's going to change. And he's going to stop being abusive. That's not true. Mm -hmm. It's only going to get worse. And if you don't get help, uh, you're going to be a victim. As I say, I have, I've had victims who were victims for over 40 years and never knew anything was out of out of step. It was normal. Yeah, that was their normal life. Yeah, that's, that's the way it was supposed to be. And that may come from child abuse, watching parents in their domestic violence and, you know. I, uh, you know, I do some work with immigrant women who are being vic who are victims of domestic violence. And one of the things we really have to look at when we when we get a victim is culture. What culture are they coming from? Mm -hmm. Because in some cultures, in sixty some cases uh, countries, there is no law against domestic violence. No. And I've posted that several times on on media on social media to get people to understand that that the country where they come from, the authorities in that country may not just may not be the help that they need. They may very well be the problem itself. Because there are no laws to, to cover a woman being, when they come here, that has created a mistrust in the authorities. Mm. I'm not going to the police because number one, I'm a, I'm a foreign national. Number two, they're not going to do anything anyway. Yeah, they make those assumptions. Though. Yeah, it, our culture has a plays a, a great role. So how prevalent is domestic violence um, overall? How how prevalent is it? I and I didn't I did not include the numbers, but um, well, they're ever changing anyway. <laughs> but the the National Intimate Partner uh, a lot of summaries summaries come out, and it is the numbers are. are dramatic, more, a lot more than we tend to want to believe. Are they decreasing or increasing? They have increased. Uh, and one of the reasons was the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Instead of a victim having the option of going to work, a lot of employers have employees working at home. So there they are with their abuser. Yeah. The other thing that we talked about earlier uh, is that we need to take a look at what we consider domestic violence. And I have stopped using the word intimate partner violence so much. Because it affects everybody. It affects it. And even the children, uh, children see, hear, and react to family violence or to, to domestic violence. And if some of these kids who, who are affected because they are, they see the violence, that emotional damage lasts an entire lifetime. 
So then the children, thinking that's normal because they've been seeing it all their life, they're going to go on and either become an abuser or be abused. That's a great possibility. And, and, and there's a legacy of abuse then. Yeah, you know, there's a great possibility. Uh, kids are sometimes also used as triggers. As triggers. Yeah. In other words, I'm not going to assault you. I'm not going to hurt you. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to beat the five-year-old. Oh, yeah. Mm. Or the six-year-old. Mm. And the victims will comply because they don't want the kids hurt. So the child is being used as a trigger. Mm. Yeah. And that would keep her, keep the person from leaving, too. It would. All reporting. I'll harm the children. So... Um, what are financial institutions doing about this? Or, I mean, is there any help there? It can be. Um, remember, a victim who is financially abused has no money. One of the things banks can do, and you, you can do it in both domestic violence and elder abuse, is number one, become aware of what domestic violence is. Two is to team a partner with a domestic violence service and help that victim build a bank account. Oh, that would be wonderful. So not necessarily protect what they do have, because they may not have anything to start with, but help them to build. To build. You have to kind of remember that a domestic violence victim may know nothing about banking, mm -hmm. You know, you have a 23, 24-year-old, and she's never had an account. She's never had money because he has it. So she doesn't understand how to build that bank account. But the bank needs to partner with, or the financial institution, needs to partner with a domestic violence program. Mm -hmm. So that the program can say, look, we can we can take you to the bank and we'll get you set up with an account. That would be excellent. Yeah, so financial institutions really can can be that 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 way for her out to build to have her own money. All right, well, it looks like that's all we have time for today. But I encourage everyone uh, to contact Bill Lightfoot with more questions you might have. Maybe he can do a consulting service. And um, as I said at the beginning, he has Lightfoot Consulting Associates. That's in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, he consults about elder abuse and domestic violence. And I'll give you his email. LightfootWH976 at gmail.com. He has a phone number he's uh, willing to give out, and that's 804 986 4631. I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having about me. About this very important topic, and I hope it's wet people's interest and they will want to find out more, particularly what they can do for themselves or for other people that they know are in domestic violence. I want to give the hotline number, the National Domestic Violence Hotline number is 1-800-799-7233.
So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and God bless.